Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of Brighton Rock Podcast. Yes, we've had 50 episodes already, Peter. This is madness, isn't it? I don't know where it's gone. It feels <laughs> like only yesterday we were doing the first episode. Yeah, well, it pretty much was, wasn't it? We only started in January and we've racked up quite a few. You can blame lockdown partly for that, I'm sure. Um, but we are back in the resumption of the season, a season in which it looks like we are safe. So it's a nice round figure for a nice happy moment isn't it, after Saturday's 1-0 win at Norwich. Yeah, and ourselves elsewhere as well, going completely our way, pretty much, barring West Ham have lost. But other than that, it's it's gone exactly as we wanted it to. Yeah, absolutely, and including yesterday's results. Um, All in all, just brilliant. Um, Villa losing at Liverpool. They they took their time losing, but they did eventually, so that that added to the equation. Um, All in all, happy times. And we're going to look back in this first part to the game, and a couple of other bits of news football-wise. In the second part of this podcast, we'll be looking ahead to Wednesday's game against Liverpool, and we've got John Gibbons from the Anfield Rap joining us, which will be a great pleasure, and um, we'll be finding out all the stuff he's got to say about his rather, uh, I would imagine, quite exciting season, um, strange season, and, um, and fragmented, but also a happy one. We'll find out about his time also with the podcast itself. So that's to look forward to. But in this first part, um, as you swish away a fly there, Peter, <laughs> the problems of doing this stuff in the summer, right? um, we're going to talk about the Norwich game. Um, what's your take on it? Because, I mean, I think it, it felt like quite a pedestrian sort of performance, but one seemed quite comfortable, which is not the sort of thing we're, ex- we're used to having in the Premier League, is it? Um, what was your view on it? Um, I thought we, we did okay. We Yeah, we left ourselves... We let Norwich still in it in the end, which was quite frustrating. And there were some of the problems that have been there all season, not finishing teams off, not, you know, not, com- not finalising things. We, kind of, we had chances at the beginning of the second half, especially, to finish it. Dan Byrne missed a good chance in the, from a, a free kick. And there are a few where we got into much better positions than we took advantage of. And if we'd taken the second chance, then I reckon we probably would have won, maybe even won 3-0 or something like that because Norwich didn't really offer that much. As it was, 1-0 when they brought on their three attacking players gave them, left them with hope. And there was still, well, nothing really happened in the last 20-odd last minutes. We were very, very, we were one, the, the Whitfield post away from messing up all our good work. So, yeah. in a way, it's, I, I was saying to, um, I think on, on, the, on the particular London chat the other night, you know, I feel it's, in a way, it's a story of our season, except we, Norwich weren't good enough to take advantage of it, in a way. So, mm-hmm. it we did hold on and we did win, but we desperately need to get maybe one or two more attacking players in the summer, I think, just as we said, like previous episodes, just to make sure that when we are on top and when we do comfortably hold on, 
beating teams, we we actually do end up getting the goals that match that as well. Yeah, I mean it was a curious lineup from Norwich. I don't know what you made of it, but obviously they left Campwell and Pukki on the team, two of the bigger names in terms of their season. Mainly Pukki in the earlier part of the season, Campwell consistently throughout has been a decent player. Um, as far as we know, there was no injury worries regarding them. Um, it seemed a curiosity that they'd leave them out of this game because it's, um, to all intents and purposes, a must-win match for them. They haven't got the most tough run-in compared with others, but it's any games are going to be tough and they need the points now. So regardless of what they thought, of, I mean, it's not like we were a, a write-off game either, is it, um, from their point of view? I so, think it's like that that the 11 on the pitch started, who started had scored five goals between them this season. Yeah, which is not a great, greatly encouraging no, no. I mean, we think we struggle for goals, but that is. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, looking since lockdown, there's been a few teams that I've looked at. I think um, Villa in particular, um, to a certain degree, Watford and um, West Ham, uh, but not so much West Ham now, but definitely Norwich and Villa are the two teams that just look so toothless up front. And, yeah. you know, to take away two of their more attacking options, just... Uh, made it even worse in the At end. least Norwich haven't spent much money, so they got an excuse. Villa have spent massively on striker. On striker. Yeah. I know Wesley's injured now, but Samata and, you know, and they've, the amount of players they've got. I mean, to be honest, if, if Villa didn't have Greenwich, I think they'd be below Norwich, personally. Yeah. I think he's, he's, it is not, not quite a one-man team because McGinn's obviously quite good and they've got one, one there. Mings obviously is reasonable, but yeah, I think they're, they're as close to a one-man team as you get in the Premier League, I think they're. Yeah, and um, I mean, they seem a nice club, decent fans on the whole. So, a bit of a shame for Norwich to uh, to now, it seems, inevitably be slipping into the Championship. They could still do it, but they, they certainly can't catch us, but they could still catch the others. Um, but it's going to be a tall order. It goes to show, when you spend, I think they had a net spend of about 800 grand in the, from going yeah. and going this season. I mean, you can't, I mean, the Premier League, yes, you don't always get, if you spend loads like Villa has shown, doesn't necessarily reward you, but it will very rarely reward you for not spending at all. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, they, they were quite clear. I listened to one of the um, interviews with Farker in the run-up to the game, and he was, um, he was kind of defending Norwich's position, of which he shared, um, which was that um, they wanted to be frugal, they wanted to be careful, not overspend, give it a good go, but they were resigned to the fact they might be going down, I think, from the off. He didn't put it in those words, but that's essentially what he was saying. And, um, you know, unfortunately for them, it hasn't um, pulled yeah. off. Which However, is fair enough, if you're sensible like that. I, I wonder yeah. if they might struggle to come back up again for a few more years because of yeah. if they lose a few of those players. I'm not even thinking about Pookie because I wonder if he, his form since Christmas might put people off. But certainly, like, Campwell and Aaron mm -hmm. Lewis, who's like someone actually I'd really... If, if he doesn't fancy Bernardo, I'd definitely be interested in us looking at... Yeah. Lewis, Jamal Lewis, he looks a really good prospect. That cross he put in where no one moved and everyone just stood there and it yeah. uh, brilliant. He seems quite a decent defender. Cruel, of course, as well, might might look for a move. Yeah, I mean, I think for him, his first team appearances are the main thing, so it would depend if he could get a first team role in the Prem, I guess. But um, Norwich, I mean, if they're being sensible with finances, you'd like to think they could bounce back, but it is going to be tough. You've got to deal with the psychology of having gone down. Um, it's not always easy to bounce straight back, even if you're... And will they invest? I mean, that's the thing. Will they invest the money that they get, parachute payments and that sort of thing? Yeah. If they don't, then... And they sell a few of their better players as well. Yeah. The one in who, these difficult times as well, you know, they're probably going to be more frugal with, that, with the money, yeah. knowing that things are a bit uncertain at the moment. But, um, the, the creative midfielder, whose name um, escapes me for a minute, I was saying has about the sixth or seventh in terms of chances created in the league or something. 
on the commentary the other day whose name um, is it Tetty or McClay? Um, no, it's if creative midfielder. Let me have a look. It's really bad. He, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Um, or not Troy Ball, is it? No, it's he was on the bench, wasn't he? He um, started. Um, let me have a look. So this is really bad for Wendia. Sorry, yeah, that's it. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, they were saying he has as many chances created as like he's like sixth or seventh in that list in the Premier League. So I wonder if he's one that the other teams might look at as well. Maybe we yeah. can have a, have a look at whether mm, he might us or go somewhere higher up. I don't know. But. Yeah, yeah, it's a possibility. Well, Brighton themselves started with um, a lineup which looked quite solid, looked quite predictable. I can't remember exactly what I said in the end in my guess for the. Scott, but I think this is pretty close to it, actually, in terms of what I predicted he would go for. Um, we started with Ryan and Gold, Lamptey at right back, back in that position. Webster was fit, so it was him and Dunk in central, Burn on the left, of course. Um, and the midfield was Prupa, Pissouma, uh, Moy, who was set up to play right side, and Trossard to the left, with Morpé and Connolly up front. Yeah. So, quite a good um, lineup. We made subs later in the game. I, I, my only theory thought on that was, I, 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 I mean, I would have played Bernardo, but I, yeah. I accepted that he wouldn't. Um, my only, I, my slight def variation on that was, I thought we'd go 4-3-3 three, three, when Callister is on the front three. And boy, but, yeah, I mean, it's, mm. it was a pretty predictable, I think that's close to our best team now, if you assume mm. that he's going to play Burn. I think probably, yeah, it's McAllister possibly for Connolly. But other than that, that's pretty much the 11 we'd. Yeah, that's it. Um, interestingly, we I think I think it was the same with the Arsenal game. We won the game with um, less percentage on possession, 42% in this match. Um, in terms of shots, um, they had 12, we had eight. They only had one of those 12 on target. Two of our eight were on target. So uh, maybe something telling in there. Um, also, um, I think... It was the case that we had, I think, yeah, we had um, roughly the same in fouls. So, I mean, a lot of the other stats were quite even. But the game just, um, it seemed a bit odd. We looked very passive at first. We were just settled, passing around at the back, very low pace, nothing much going on, like a training game. Um, and not a great deal happened, did it, until the goal, which was in the 25th minute, um, where it was a great move. Um, there was an interception from an angle ball in by Norwich. Um, dispossessed by Biss, who um, laid it off quickly to Morpay, laid it off quickly to the right for Aaron Moy. He advanced forwards and played it into the central area. Trossard with a couple of players marking him, but stealing an edge, just had enough time to get a subtle glance on the ball, use the pace of the ball from Moy to just divert it into the corner of the goal. A great goal, I thought, actually. Really nice goal. Um, and very timely as well because it, it just uh, shook us out of our malaise and set us on our way, didn't it? Yeah, and I think it, there may well have been a plan there, to be honest, because from what everyone says, that's pretty much summed up Norwich's season. Maybe you kind of have dominate possession, be on top, look good, don't really have the final ball or the final shot. I think that's like Sanders at that point had one shot wide maybe or something like that. Because, I mean, he looked quite lively but couldn't shoot. So he had about three or four attempts that were pretty poor, frankly. And then, yeah, Norwich... <laughs> just push the fullback so far forward and don't really kind of cover for them. And so the minute they give it away, which is quite often from the sound of it, they hmm. they basically leave themselves open. And we had so many other chances like that. I mean, there was another one a few minutes later where Trossard should have hit it first time rather than trying to lay it across. Um, yeah. And there was other ones later on in the second half when we were just on the break and had, had men over and we didn't take advantage of it, which again, kind of her saying, kind of sums up our season. Yeah, indeed. Um, I thought, in terms of man of the match, I thought the centre-backs were pretty solid. Um, I personally went for Lamptey. I think quite a few people did. Um, 
BBC went for um, Moy, actually, uh, as their man of the match. But I think um, BT Sport, who were covering the game, did agree with us on Lamptey. Was your, was your man of the match Lamptey as well? I probably would have said Lamptey, yeah. It's an argument, I think, for Trossard as well. That one bit of skill, the difference between, you know, yeah. you can argue between the two teams. And I thought he looked more lively than maybe he has when he started in previous games. Yeah, so. yeah, I did as well. That, he that scored. took confidence from that United game when he looked really good off the bench. Yeah, I mean, I, there's an argument maybe against this, but I, I thought with the Man United game, Gross has done really well when, we, when he's played for us against Man U. And I, I think he's involved in four of the five goals we scored, or five of the six mm-hmm. goals. Um, so there's an argument for playing players that just seem to do well against other teams. Trossard's now scored in both games against Norwich this season. And so I think um, as well. Yeah, so it's if it maybe... It's goal, wasn't it? Is there... Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, maybe it might only be cup appearances in the near future, who knows? But uh, I would certainly start him in the future. Against I Norwich. think if someone like Norwich suits him because, A, they're not particularly great defensively and, B, they do mm-hmm. attack. They don't sit back and and defend generally so that you, you get as a player of his quality if you give them that much room you know the teams yeah. that don't suit him are the organized ones maybe like Burnley who don't who aren't that ambitious but also are well organized and he struggles sometimes to break through that sort of thing but with ones like yeah, Norwich where it suits him down to the ground because they're quite open yeah. and then also yeah not very um not very good frankly yeah <laughs> indeed yeah I mean they, they've struggled at both ends really in recent times, and um, it does look like they're on the on the way down. But Lamptey, going back to him, and one bit I loved. Um, obviously, we've, we've seen that the Leicester game where he uh, outpaced Vardy and then took it round him, which is delightful stuff. Um, in this game, okay, less of a challenge. You're not dealing with a Vardy, but there was a situation in the. In fact, there were two bits to talk about regarding Lamptey. One was where he was on the right hand touch line. Um, it looked like um, the chance to advance forward was going wrong, petering out. He was then facing back towards goal, looked like he was going to just play a standard backwards pass um, to restart the move. Um, but having started to deceive both us and the Norwich players, he then doubled back on himself. Good little bit of quick-footed skill, got past him. Another absolute delight, wasn't it? <laughs> I love that. And then I think it was only a matter of a few moments later in my mind's eye that uh, he was bursting down the right side, similar to what he'd been doing in, in moments against Leicester. Um, when he was in the right back role, um, and he'd he'd beaten people for pace, he'd gone charging after a ball which any of our other right backs wouldn't have got to. He went storming down. Norwich player, can't remember who it was, had to cut in and basically put the ball out of play. Just got there in time, um, but um, I think it then led to a, um, a booking for Lamptey. We're not quite sure why. Um, there was somebody, it might have been you in the Seagulls Over London Zoom meeting, that was talking about. Um, or it might have been Raymond actually, the gent, who was talking about um, potential uh, victim of uh, persistent uh, time wasting. Yeah, I think it was time with... wasting, definitely. Mm. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, not that it's going to matter for this season now, but uh, yeah, that was a, a curiosity. But but those two moments anyway were great. I mean, it just showed you the dangers and the extra dimensions that he can bring to the team, I think. Yeah, to be honest, the signing of Lamptey makes me really positive for next season, potentially. If they can pick out yeah. one or two more, you know, gems like him for the, the relatively mm-hmm. small fee, maybe aren't getting the games at the bigger clubs and, and you yeah. know, and one or two of them can see what has happened to Lamptey already and how he's playing and, yeah. how, and think, well, actually, if I maybe my best way of playing for a big six club isn't to stay at a big six club, it's to, you know, move on and then get games and then maybe move on later on, then that could be a real ground for us developing, making ourselves more sustainable for developing younger players, becoming a real kind of breeding ground 
You know, I mean, yeah, if you look already this season, you know, Alzati's had played quite a lot of games until he got his injury. Connolly's played quite a lot of games. Lamptey's now come in and playing. McAllister's now starting. He's young. Basuma's now starting a lot more. He's starting in 22, 23. Malpay's only 23. And it's a, it's a real kind of core Trossard, I don't think it's that old, 24 or something like that, 25. Yeah. So, and, a real so, core of youngish players who are, are coming through and look quite an exciting option, especially with White came back next season, hopefully, as well. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you on all of those points. And also, one other thing that's got mentioned somewhere on Twitter, um, we've also had this situation where there's a number of other players, including some of you just mentioned who've come through the ranks, who are first-yearers in terms of the Premier League. So you've got Byrne, hasn't played, or certainly not for a long time. I can't remember when he was at Fulham, whether he played any Premier League games. He's hardly played any. Um, obviously, Webster. Lamptey, effectively not um, as well. In midfield, you've got Trossard, who's new to the country and to the division. Um, you've, you've got players up front like Morpé, the same situation. It's it's not it's like the Premier League before this season, yeah. Yeah, and Connolly and, Connolly and uh, Alzace, yeah. So, I mean, that's all very positive. Um, just a couple of other things about Norwich. Um, the BBC websites mentioned the fact that Brighton have completed their first league double over Norwich since 1951-52. Um, which is great. It's uh, so another one to tick off the list. Um, it's also our second double of the season, which matches the previous two years in the Premier League. So it's becoming a little bit of a tradition. We get two, exactly two. Yeah, because we're not we going to get any more because we haven't. We yeah. can't do any more now. Yeah, we've we've had the double done over us once, which was Man U. We could potentially have that happen with City, Liverpool, and Southampton. So we've got some work to do to avoid being outdone. I think. We don't normally, I don't think we've had the double done on us more than we've done the double on others in the previous two seasons, if I'm remembering correctly. So we want to keep that going, don't we, really? Liverpool and Man City have definitely done it both seasons because we haven't got a point against them. Yeah, I'm not sure if anyone else has, I can't remember. Chelsea, I think, have at least once. Yeah, I mean, another thing that's pointed out is um, that's three away games in a row where we haven't conceded, which is um, quite impressive. if he's definitely yeah, changed the style slightly, I think it's kind of, which is, to me, people have been critical because it's like we've gone back a little bit towards the, some of the Hewton ways. But to me, it shows that Potter can adapt to the ways yeah. sometimes and to be more obdurate and more solid. And I think that's a really good thing. I think he saw it wasn't necessarily working second half of the season. And hopefully if we can get one or two more players in, we can hopefully go back to maybe the kind of more open dance ring in the season when actually if we won more games when we should have won them, we'd have been fine. But he's, you know, he's, he, it has shown that he can do a plan B, which is what a lot of people criticised Putin for, that he wasn't able to come up with a plan B. Hmm. It's not just in tactics, it's not in like, formation, it's in tactics as well. Because we changed, obviously, from 4-4-1-1 to 4-3-3 last season. But it was still the same tactics in terms of the p- people sat deep, people were afraid to attack sometimes. You know, we didn't commit many men forward. You know, you can play in any formation you want, if you, but if, you, if you're defensive, Generally, mm-hmm. then you're still going to be defensive in, you know, five three two, four three three, four four two. But yeah. but Potter's actually had to change the mindset a bit, and we are maybe being a little bit more direct at times now. We're we're catching teams on the counter attack a bit more. We're we're not so worried about home possession. And I think you were saying like four of the four games since lockdown, I think have been the lowest among the bottom five in terms of possession. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like it's shown that he can adapt from just like literally passing the ball around to actually changing the way we play. And it's yeah. I think that's really encouraging. I think having a manager. Yes, you want a manager who wants to entertain more, but it, also you want someone who's actually able to change the team. And for all the yeah. comments on defence, we've actually conceded significantly less than last season at the moment. And I do think, you know, speaking of uh, obviously connection with Norwich as well, Chris Hewton, that was the criticism, wasn't it? Um, apart from being quite negative looking for a ball and not the best to watch. Um, and of course, poor old Jake Humphreys 
pointed that out when Norwich were coming up. He was saying how it was it was going to be a pleasure for people to have more entertaining. Yeah, team that was a massively naive thing to do, to be honest. I know, and he, he's been brutalised on Twitter again this weekend, apparently. <laughs> over that, I mean, to be I mean, fair to him, he did make a comment about you know fair play, Brighton have looked a lot better this season, but yeah. it was really very naive given his his position in the media and that sort yeah. of thing. To, when when Norwich obviously weren't going to spend very much, and the idea that they were going to come up and, and they scored mm-hmm. like. 20-odd got 20-odd goals, and most of them were in the first, like, 10 games, I think, or something. Yeah, I mean, the good, good news for him is, if they are going down, the one, the one upside is he won't, we won't be playing them probably for a while, so he won't have to suffer any more, <laughs> any more uh, repeat posting on there about his, uh, his original tweet. Um, I think on the, um, the flip side of that, though, um, in terms of teams coming up, you, you just mentioned about attacking football. It's great to come up playing attacking football, and Hewton did to a greater degree, certainly when we got promoted. It's a different beast, really, being in the Prem. And I listened to their post-match podcast, uh, the Pinkham, and they were saying that they just felt that playing the brand of football that Norwich did to get up probably isn't going to be enough to keep you up. I mean, they, they were pretty reflective on that. Um, you yeah, I think also there, are, there are variations as well. I mean, you can play attractive football without suicidally throwing your wing-backs forward or your full-backs forward all the yeah. time and yeah, leaving I mean, no one to cover them. You know, it, there's, there's, there's variations on the theme, isn't there? Bournemouth yeah. play attractive football. Bournemouth play attractive football, yeah. Uh, it's a matter of belief and confidence. You, you have yeah. to ride on that. That's the thing with it. It can work. I mean, Swansea managed to do it um, for a while as well. On the, on the flip side, Blackpool played some really entertaining football life, but went down. You know, they so, didn't have um, the players again. I mean, they actually did really well to, to take it to the last day, considering the players they had, I think. That's true, yeah. So, so, so there is that. But, um, I mean, looking at the table now, I mean, Norwich are seven points adrift. And the goal difference isn't great either. So we're talking like an eight-point swing they need there. You know, I think it's pretty safe to say they're going to go down. They're on 21. What you've got after that is Bournemouth, 27. Villa above them on goal difference, 27. Watford just in the safety position, 28. West Ham, 30. And then Brighton, 36. So I think it's realistically, we're talking bottom five. I think... Watford have got Norwich tomorrow, which is at home, which is a very winnable game. If they win that, suddenly there's a bit of a gap to the bottom three. Yeah, and I, I mean, looking at it at the moment and looking at the way the restart's been, for me, it looks to me like it's just a, a matter of Watford and Villa who's going to survive out of those two because I think Bournemouth are in major, major problems here. They Psychologically, I think they're done. I mean, they, they put in a decent effort at Man United, but again, they ended up getting comfortably beaten in the end, having taken the lead against the run of play. And, um, you know, it, it's not looking good. Their, their run-in is horrendous and they're looking dejected, aren't they? I think Howe's trying to put on a brave face rather than a smug one, but it's ultimately he's uh, he's not. They probably need to get at least seven or eight points minimum from hmm. if Watford beat Norwich tomorrow and the other games that other teams have got. They probably need seven, eight points minimum from their last five, and they've got I think three home games, but they're Tottenham, Leicester, and and Southampton, which is obviously winnable, but they're on quite decent form, and then away to Everton hmm. and Man City or something like that, isn't it, or something pretty yeah. difficult. So I mean, it's hard to see them getting much. From that, yeah. Everton are pretty good at home. City obviously will mm-hmm. be hard to, won't be easy to beat. And Tottenham and Leicester, although they're they're not very good at the moment, have done better, a lot better than Bournemouth since lockdown. And actually, Leicester mm-hmm. did quite well on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, that was a good result. Thank you, Leicester. <laughs> Three 0 against Palace, wasn't it? Um, speaking of um, Twitter and Hewton, um, we also had um, there's a little bit of um, fuss going on on Twitter this week, and. Um, regarding John Barnes, who had been very critical of Chris Hewton's dismissal at the end of last season, saying it was unfair because he got them up and got them into a semi-final. Um, 
on reflection though, I mean, you, we've got to be happy that um, Graham Potter's come in because at the moment we've got the same points that we had last season. We've still got five games to go. We've, we've scored roughly the same number of goals. I think it might be exactly or thereabouts. And um, we are guaranteed to have less defeats this season now than we did last season. So, and playing more attractive football proportionally over the whole of the season. We've all got to be happy with that. We've made that point to John Barnes. He's still sticking to his guns, though. He still thinks um, it was the wrong decision. I respectfully disagree with him. I think all Albion fans do. Yes, it's there's a gamble with any change of manager. When you've, when you've managed to survive on the outside looking in, you could say, mm, yeah, better the devil you know and everything. But I think it was absolutely the right decision, much as we love Chris. Um, it was the right decision at the right time. That has been vindicated, in my opinion now. And I think it will be more so as we probably with confidence are able to now maybe pick up some more points in games coming up. Um, one which might not be very easy is Southampton because they've just beaten Man City at the weekend, which is a hell of a result. Che Adams with his first Premier League goal and he tried to do a bit of a sit world, didn't he, Peter? Yeah, although not quite so far out, so it's not as good. <laughs> and the City keeper was pretty much right next to him when he did it, so it's like... <laughs> yeah. Easy one. But I agree with what you're saying about the, um, the sacking. I think probably... I think in a way it was a harsh decision from the outside if you ignore that we everything else and you just look at this final league table, which is what a lot of the pundits did. And actually what really pissed me off last year and actually still isn't quite annoying is the, the pundits, the patronising sense of the pundits and the way that some of them were like criticising our style of play the whole of last season or half certainly in the second half of it. And then also then critical of us sacking Hewton. It's like, well, yeah. sorry, you've criticised our style of play all season and now you're like actually suddenly, oh, you should have stuck with a manager who produced that style of play. It doesn't really... Well, I, yeah. I, you know, I was a big fan of Chris Hewton, um, and I, I, I stood by him pretty much the whole of last season until we had those defeats against Southampton, Bournemouth, and Cardiff. Where we just didn't look like didn't look at the races, and we somehow managed to get three win, three draws at the end of the season where we held on and backs against the wall. But to me, if we if he'd stayed this season, and I know it's not possible to prove it or say anything like that, um, but we'd have gone down this season, no question. And at that point, it had become a bigger risk to keep him. And to let him go, and I think there's always, you say, always a risk about getting any manager in, and obviously Potter was untried at this level, but there was a bigger risk in leaving him in there, and you know we and we were struggling to attract attacking players in my view as well because he wasn't really using them to their best, and I mean Potter's not perfectly used them, but he, I reckon we've got more chance of bringing in young, exciting, talented players now who can help yeah. you know us become more sustainable and you know and help the team as well than we had under Hewton. And as much as I loved him, he did a brilliant job. The time was right, I think, at that point. And I think yeah, it was I a great decision so. from Tony Bloom. But, and it, yeah, as you say, it's paid off because we're, well, assuming we're barring a miracle on uh, big changes in the last next few games, we're going to be in the Premier League again next season. Yeah. And then we've got a chance to build. Absolutely. And even if we had have stayed up, it would have been a case of treading water, in my opinion, yeah. if, if we had stayed up. And then on top of that, you, you haven't really got a long-term developmental project, if you want to call it that. Um, whereas now it feels like there is, it feels like there's, um, there's longer term planning. It feels like it's going somewhere, yeah. hopefully in the right direction. We think it is. Um, but you wouldn't have felt that with, with Chris still yeah. being in and charge. It's similar for the youth team players who are coming through now. You know, if you kind of, if you're looking to attract even like 15, 16, 17 year olds to the club, and also then obviously the, the, the young, the, the ones from like the clubs, other clubs as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've yeah, it's much easier when Connolly's making, you know, 20 odd appearances for us and Alzate's making 20 odd appearances for us and Lamptey's come in and made three appearances and three starts in a row than it was to attract these players when Hewton's made like 
I think about two games worth of players in like five, four and a half years. And it's, I, I, I'm really impressed with what Potter's done. I think given some of the stats that were on match today at the weekend about how we've got more goals, less goals conceded, more shots this season, less shots faced, and 10% more possession suggests that there's, you know, we maybe are underachieving in terms of our quality and our play, which is down to potentially our final ball and after the final yeah. third. And having yeah. a number of our attacking players had a season in Premier League and then also potentially a couple of new signings, I reckon we could really actually challenge for mid-table and that sort of thing, you know, maybe certainly not have too many relegation worries next year if we get the signings right this summer. Yeah. And it, and it, whereas I never felt that with Houston, I never felt that we'd get... You know, it always felt like we'd be in a relegation battle because we never really went to see certain some teams basically just gave up the three any points already anyway. And once we conceded, yeah. it was like, oh, that's it then. Yeah, I mean, by and large, it's better football. We're going to get more points than last season. And there is a lot more going on in terms of players are getting games, they're getting time to develop. Um, you know, yeah. we've introduced youth players. I mean, Connolly, I'm not sure. We, the jury's still out. It's going to take him time and yeah. everything. But He's 19 though, isn't he? It's like... He's 19 and he's now getting, he's getting valuable match time. You know, he's, yeah. he's getting those moments. And the benefit of getting that result against Norwich, apart from making us breathe a hell of a lot easier at an earlier point, is that maybe we can then afford the luxury of making decisions based on next season's development rather than getting the results over the line now. Um, it's a balance, of course, but, but it's not just about the results now. The most interesting start I thought of match the day of the day was the fact that I think we had like 12.7 shots on target, on shots, sorry, not shots on target, on average per game, and faced 12.3. So we've actually had more shots this season, apparently, statistically, than we faced, which yeah. for a team in the bottom six seems quite surprising. Yeah, equally, I saw a stat the other day that Neil Morpé is in the list of, I think it's the top six um, shots um shot takers in the uh, season this in the premier league season so far um what that says you know unless he's a very high scoring striker what that says i don't know it, it depends on the quality of the shots and when when and where he takes them yeah exactly so, um, and a shot on targets that would be more interesting for both him and for us as overall but yeah. it does show we're getting in positions to take shots and i think that that can only improve and what it doesn't show of course as well is the fact that I think we've got into a lot of good positions this season where we've not had a shot in the end we've either tried to overplay it or we've all played the wrong final ball and it, there's so I, I genuinely am actually quite positive about next season I think we'll hmm. I think if we can get a couple of attacking signings we don't even need that much elsewhere a couple hmm. of attacking signings maybe yeah. partly funded by sending one or two defenders like we talked about Duffy maybe and maybe even Stevens if you want to get another midfielder in then I, I genuinely think we can we can challenge for mid-table rather than being like permanently in fear of bottom three. Yeah, so we, we're pretty much there. We can't quite 100% guarantee it yet, but I, th- I think we're pretty much on the way. Just to, to finish off for this first part of the podcast then, a couple of other bits of news, and the playoffs have carried on. Uh, we've seen already Northampton get promoted. We've now had the League One playoffs underway. Portsmouth conceded a lead, um, ending up drawing with Oxford in the first leg. Come on, Oxford. Um, in the other game, though, pretty curious, wasn't it? Uh, Fleetwood with lovely old Joey Barton as their manager. I think I would like, I would quite like them as a club if it wasn't for him. Um, they were playing at home to Wickham, who had a brilliant first half of the season. They've fallen away rapidly and um, I think would have missed out on promotion if it hadn't been for the break. It's probably benefited them. But they absolutely thumped Fleetwood on their own patch, didn't they? Yeah, rather unfortunate day for Fleetwood. Like two players sent off. As a, it, the referee I didn't had a great day because he gave a very poor penalty for Fleetwood's goal, I thought. Yeah, but potentially agreed. booked 
probably for a foul. I probably booked um, the Fleetwood attacker for diving at at um, four one, and when actually he could have potentially given a penalty and a red card there. I thought because he did pull his arm back, it meant, and then a Fleetwood player got uh, um, Madden got booked again for for um, one of the players I considered for my PM team in a previous episode, but didn't quite make yeah. the mark. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, didn't. Uh, he got he got very upset by the fact that he didn't get a penalty. So having been booked for diving, then verbally assaulted the referee and yeah, got sent off. Great. And I mean, it was four one in the end. I don't think anyone's come back from a three goal margin. Definitely not in that division or playoffs. And we took uh, like, two of their key players banned as well. Yeah, I mean, there's curtains ready for them. I think, isn't it? It's so hard it looks to like came back. They need a very yeah. early goal to kind of slightly worry. Hmm. And I've been, from what I've seen of the division, I've been more impressed, not just from my bias, not liking Portsmouth, but um, I've been impressed more with Oxford as a team than Portsmouth. So I think it'd be quite nice. Oxford and Northampton uh, in the final, uh, not Northampton, sorry, Oxford and uh, Wickham, uh, both likable clubs, uh, all in all. Um, we'll It'll be their first ever time in a the championship. They've uh, they tend yeah. to drift up and down between leagues one and two. Ainsworth has done a fantastic job there, to be fair. I think he's yeah. like one of the top couple of longest serving managers, isn't he? Hmm. And one final thing for me, I don't know if you've got any other bits of news from the week, but uh, the GOAT, the real GOAT, the undisputed GOAT, Lionel Messi, he scored his 700th career goal, uh, penankering a penalty <laughs> to do it in style. It's a mundane goal, um, in theory it could have been, but no, he had to make it flare, didn't he? Um, undisputed in my opinion, I'll have none of this nonsense about Ronaldo, um, much as he's a great player. Um, we're living in strange times, aren't we? But we're also living in fantastic times in terms of the quality of some of the footballers out there. Lionel Messi. I have heard more rumours that he's a bit upset at Barcelona. He's not happy there again. So yeah. maybe he'll join Albion in the summer. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's, yeah. Well, he does go against worse. our younger player policy. Maybe we should go for um, Mbappe instead and from PSG. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone retires to the seaside, Peter. Don't you know that? So it's, it makes sense that he should join. No, they're, they're quite disharm- disharmonious, aren't they, at Barcelona? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going very well for them since yeah. uh, lockdown. Yeah. There's a pretty good result for them yesterday at Villarreal, so... Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, but... One other thing I've just... Yeah, we were thinking yeah. about earlier is uh, Lee Johnson, obviously, has gone Bristol City manager. Yes. Yeah, so. it's a shame. They've persevered through two or three bad patches and fair play to Bristol City. They don't get rid of managers easily. Um, but they've, they've had another bad spell in the run into a season. Um, I guess it was just one too many of those where they've not been able to push on. Yeah. Um, maybe time for a change. And guess who's been linked with the job? Hewton. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Hewton himself. Um, he's turned down other championship roles, as we understand it. I think Sheffield Wednesday and a couple of other jobs, um, presumably because it either just wasn't the right fit or he felt he could have got a, a prem job. Yeah. Um, I, does I he take this? Um, I think it's a good fit, personally. I do as well. And I don't think he'll get another Premier League job. So. No. Unless it's a going down where they're like, well, can he get them up that's organised for a few games? I don't see yeah. him getting a Premier League job. So I, I, I would say if he wants to get back into the game, he should be looking at taking a championship mm-hmm. one from a from a you know a team in the, the top end of the championship who are quite, you know, kind of willing to spend money and to, to help yeah. him out. And City seem to score goals for fun, but maybe don't have a good def- a great defence. So he'd be a good fit there. He could sort them out defensively. Hopefully yeah. in the championship he'd keep them scoring goals as well as he did with us and yeah, they could yeah. work for them. He's got a good I, I would say he'd be an ideal fit for them. He's like got that. Newcastle up, he's got Bryson up, he's nearly got Birmingham up against all yeah. the odds. There's some stat when he, after he took us up that he'd come, I think it was fourth, third, second and first in 
yeah. space of the, the four championship seasons he's last managed in, which is a pretty impressive record. Yeah, and I think even though, even with Birmingham, I think they, they had the European campaign that got relegated yeah. the previous season. So they were playing a huge amount of games <laughs> here, here and abroad. Um, They'd lost quite a lot of players as well. Yeah, despite being promised to keep um, most of those. And he still managed to get them in the playoffs, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. he's, well, he's well thought of at Birmingham as he yeah. is. Anyway, on that note, we're going to finish the first part. In part two, we'll be speaking to John Gibbons from the Anfield Wrap. Stay tuned. Sports Social Podcast Network.